Hello and welcome to another episode of Stories from the Crisper Drawer. This is episode three of season two. The microwave tells stories of purple aliens. Mm, sounds interesting. Might have to listen to this microwave. He either is very smart or very problematic and may have to be uh, recycled if his stories are crazy. <laughs> All right, let's just jump into it. First, we're going to start with stuff I've been doing, you know, just the basics of this. Not too much else going on too much, uh, but I will run through that a little bit. And then we will go to the international stuff, and that will close us out tonight. So we actually have a script. I mean, we have a schedule, we have a plan, we have an order. Uh, whether I keep to it or not is always up to me and my imagination and how things flow. I have located and, well, moved some stuff around so it actually fits better on the desk. So now I'm actually looking directly at my computer instead of turning to the side to look at my computer. It makes it a little bit easier. And of course... I say look at my computer. This thing's a little Asus Transformer book. It's tiny. It, it, <laughs> Let me just say this. This is an amazing little device for traveling. If you want to watch YouTube or stuff like that, it's just, it's perfect. It's great little word processor. 450 Canadian dollars when I bought it new two years ago. Really do love the damn thing with a touchscreen. I mean, it's nowhere near as powerful as a Surface or a Surface Pro. So if you want full-on that, like that is going to be close to $1,000. Granted, Asus does ha make amazing uh, little laptops, which my parents have. Um, they're full-powered laptops, and there's other things. Uh, wouldn't say no to Acer. There's a lot of companies that make great laptops now. Just You have to spend time figuring out what you want to do, what you want to spend your money on. But... <laughs> I, I love this guy. Uh, the only thing is is that I just always seem to position him in the worst place, so it's harder to read things, and therefore I'm always changing my positioning versus the mic, which doesn't help in recording, and I am rambling. <laughs> Excuse me. So let's go. Uh, let's end this little review. I do like the little guy. Uh, one thing I don't like too much about the Asus Transformer book, this my generation, this version, um, is that the USB 3 port really doesn't push enough power through it to run a regular adapter. Um, you know, like a regular, uh, what are they called? Um, uh, God. Uh, gosh. Like, uh, I guess a switch or an expander. Yeah, I call it a switch. Which basically allows um, more USBs to be connected to it. So you run one USB out and suddenly get four ports. So, yeah, I guess an expander would be... Uh, would be a better term for it. I mean, I could go on Amazon and look them up, but I have one I've tried, and it, it's supposed to give me three extra spots, but it seems to not always work like if they're low power. Oh, yeah, that's the other thing is that it requires um, power. So if I want to run a hard drive, I can't do that on this bot, as well as running the uh, expander. But, eh, you know, beggars can't always be choosers, and I wish they had more uh, RAM in this guy and more uh, just storage space in general, but newer versions and newer technology always coming out and solving that problem. Oh. If you're willing to spend the money, you probably can get almost anything you want <laughs> this day in computers. All right, so first things first. Uh, when I pre-ordered Ace Combat 7, it came with, when on release day, a ported version of Ace Combat 5 for the PlayStation 4, which is, it's just the straight up, the exact same source code, exact same data as the one for the PlayStation 2. And I have beaten the one on the PlayStation 2. But I decided, meh, I'd like to play the Ace, Com the, uh, Ace Combat 5 on PlayStation 4. Yeah, not having to worry about, is my PlayStation 2 going to always start? Is the connection cables going to work? Uh, do I, should I run a composite? Should I run it? You know, just dealing with all that BS and making sure it runs. Now it's just, it's on my hard drive of my PlayStation 4, and I just hit click, and I am doing it. And it's fun. Um, I'm a little bit through. I'm not even one-third of the way through the game. I'm probably about not even a quarter of the way through it yet. Because there's 27 missions in in that game. Uh, that's just a straight shot. There's also like three alternative missions that you have to do. Plus an extended secondary mission and all this other stuff. I forget. It's like 27 named missions in that game. All of them which are really fun. It has a huge inventory of airplanes. The only downside is is that the though each of the airplane because you have to upgrade uh, the airplane by experience. So the more times your pilots fly all of that plane together, the better experience you get, and thus you can buy the upgraded version of it. So it's like you start with the F five Tiger, 
And then you can buy the F5 Tiger Shark, uh, well, no, the F20 Tiger Shark when you get enough experience points. But they only have one special weapon, so you pretty much just get, like, the one that comes with. You don't get to select two or three. Like how in Ace Combat 4, there was three special weapons, two to three special weapons, depending on the fighter jet, in Ace Combat 6, um, three special weapons, and Ace Combat 7 is remain set, three special weapons. I like the idea of, like, oh, you can add and change special weapons around and... Yeah, I mean, it's just my, my thing. I, I don't really like how I'm locked to one. But at the same time, it probably made them way easier to get a bunch of data out. And by three special weapons, I mean you don't get to fly with three special weapons. You get a selection of it, so you might have a, uh, you know, the very maneuverable QAAM missiles. You might have these uh, multi-anti-air missiles that are medium range, so either 6 or 4 AAM. You might have an extra-long-range missile system. You could get a bomb. You know, it's like, well, the F-4, the F-4, the F-5 and the F-15, I mean, the F-16 just come with bombs, and then you have to buy the alternative versions of them by leveling them up and getting experience. So it makes the game, like, has a really long life, but it feels kind of grindy to a point. You get, eventually, you get to a point of, like, here are the planes I like to fly, and then you have to grind to get the rest. It's... I can see it being a problem. It's not a bad thing, but it definitely it feels grindy. And I haven't played the uh, haven't done the arcade mode yet. I haven't even done the arcade mode on uh, my PlayStation Two version of it. But I, I'll get around to that. And it it's just nostalgic because, well, I think that Ace Combat Six, no, uh, Ace Combat Four is probably my favorite in in gameplay wise and just how powerful your character feels because Mobius One is a single character. Uh, Ace Combat 6, I, I think, had the longest missions in quality, uh, at least to my feeling. Like, the Ace Combat 6 missions felt like there was so much to do, so it felt so rewarding to play them. Ace Combat 7, amazing graphics, amazing physics, uh, great story to it as well. Definitely, like, one of the better stories. Ace Combat 5's benefit is, is A, it's a huge game. Like, it's just a lot of gameplay. Um, the amazing characters and the story of it, uh, it just seems to be a good mix. Like, it's its one of the Swiss Army Knives. Like, it's got a great amount of fighters. It's got a great story. It's got very diverse missions and, like, uh, you know, all these experiences. It doesn't feel too heavy. It, it's one of the Swiss Army Knives where everything's pretty good. And when you think about the negatives for Ace Combat 5 of the uh, name series, so Ace Combat 4, 5, 0, 6, and 7 of the ones I've played, the numbered series... All of them are really, really good. Uh, I just think that Ace Combat 5, it la well, it makes up for having A, the most amount of missions, and B, the most amount of fighters. It lacks in like the quality of the fighters. Uh, by that I mean, you, you, once you find a better way to play that mission, you have to really play through every mission in a way to get those fighters upgraded. So it's not always the funnest. It's like certain fighters require a ton of experience and credits to upgrade them, and some don't and some planes it's like oh i don't ever want to fly this so it's like oh we have the a6 intruder it's not really that useful of an airplane in the game i guess in mission in enemy bombing missions which you really only have early on you don't have that many you've got uh the port st hewitt one and then you've got the uh invasion of sand island one it's not really that great of a plane besides from that um i guess you could do the land invasion one but that's still not a great because you're gonna you're gonna almost run out of missiles before you run out of before you run out of targets so that's actually a long mission that makes you feel like oh crap i'm running out of ammunition but that, that i think like there's there's three missions in that game that'd be like i'm not super happy about these missions because they're either like you have to have tons of ammunition and be really good at shooting like you have to pick the targets you're going to take out which does make sense, but for score attacks, it kind of feels a little bit handicapping in a way, like you're not being able to do as much. That being said, once you get to the point where you're flying all these amazing super planes with you and your four fighters, that's the thing you have to buy, like four, four of each version of plane to really speed through the leveling up because there's no point in flying those planes without having all the characters have the ability to fly them. It's like, oh man, I'm flying this plane, but I don't have all this, it, you know. There are issues, but I, I, like they're always they're nitpicky ones. It's like the gameplay is great. The problem, another thing I'd say, and this is because I started with Ace Combat Six and 
first is having the ability of the high G turns, which really aren't in any of the PlayStation 2 era ones. I mean, it's it's not in 4, it's not in 5, it's not in 0. It feels like it's sort of there in 0, because both sort of work together, but they don't. It's a, they don't call it high G. It seems to be like the computer has figured out like a good medium point. But in in six and seven, it's definitely there, and it really makes like throttling, uh, tapping, toggling your throttle and your brake really gives you amazing turns on enemies. And in some uh, levels, you really don't get that benefit in the older ones. You really, if it become turn becomes a turning fight, and you've got the plane that has the wider turn radius. You're pretty much going to turn the opposite way, go straight, try to flip around before they're able to get onto you and hopefully do a head-on or at least a deflection shot where they have a lot of hard time to avoid the shot coming in. But it's still a ridiculously fun game. One thing I do like about um, about set, about 5 is, is that before the level is over, you can, like as the level is over. But if you see the enemies, you can shoot them down. They took that out in, in seven, but I, I think I understand why they took it out in seven. So that's about it. That's uh, all for my Ace Combat stuff. I've still been playing a little bit of uh, seven every once in a while. Hopefully, we get those DLCs soon. But I think they're supposed to be like early summer, so maybe May, June, potentially July. I don't think they're going to be as late as August, but we'll see. I mean, there's three missions with three planes, and there might be some Chinese fighters joining, so they might have the uh, the new stealth, like the J-20 and whatever. Like, it would be cool if those just enter as free DLC for everybody. I feel like that game's got a lot going that they can add on to it later. Like, it's such a beefy game that they could add, like, a full campaign onto that sucker and not feel pretty bad, but... Knowing how much in writing uh, Project Aces want to do, they're not just going to add like a whole campaign with score attack missions. They're really going to develop it, and I know that it feels like uh, they could definitely add some more missions to um, the VR mode, and I hope they do. Uh, granted, the three missions in VR aren't are really fun, and they're like fighter jets, ground attack fighter jets. It's like that. No real naval battle. It'd be cool to get in the Navy, but I know the storyline goes. It's like, well, Free Arusha in 2015 did not have, um, or 2014. 2015, I think, is when it's based in, but maybe 2014. Doesn't really have much of a Navy. They're more of just a, a, a very well-equipped rebel group versus, uh, yeah, it, it, it's worth diving into. And I hope that they keep making stuff, and hopefully it's not going to be a long time, because I know that... Um, Evidently, they came to the point where Bandai Namco almost canceled Ace Combat 7 because of how much work they were getting into it and scrapping it and restarting it. But heck, it paid off. It paid off that they persevered through that game, and I'm developing and that's great. Uh, let's see. Let's go into the Xbox. So my Xbox One finally decided to move uh, Ace Combat 6 from my <laughs> Xbox 360 in my bedroom down to the Xbox One on my big screen. I mean, there's almost no difference. It's just, hey, two more play, another place I can play um, that game and experience it. And it feels very much the same. Um, it was a bit of a bitch getting my save file to move because I had never uh, authorized cloud saves on my old one. And it took like a bit to make that upload and then move it down here and make sure it worked. And then it would download all the DLC. And I want all the DLC to come back for Ace Combat 6. I feel like that's a thing that we've lost is that they don't have the DLC for Ace Combat 6 on uh, the Xbox Live platform. I hope they are able to get it back because it would be cool to get a few of them. Like I, I got all the named planes because that's from... I haven't done any of the Idol Master ones. And I missed... The uh, free F-22 Gryphus, which I would have loved to get, because apparently that thing's just an amazing fighter jet. But, yeah, I should have gotten it ahead of time. But also, it took me a while to, like, by the time I actually wanted to buy an Xbox, it was pretty late in my, uh, well, pretty late <laughs> in that time period. I wasn't buying, I bought an Xbox, I think, I forget. It's been a while. I can't remember the exact time when I bought my my first 360 Versus the second one that I currently have. First one crapped out, got it repaired and sold it. And bought the second Elite. Because that version came in and it was just much more stable. So I'm like, well, I I had 
it was sort of weird because it was a like a gaming. I'll just tell the story. It was a gaming weekend that me and my friends had set up. Get to my place, my Xbox um, Red Rings. Luckily, I had the extended warranty at Best Buy, so I took it in there. And it's like, okay, this will be fixed in a week or two. And it's like, well, shit. We are having gaming night today, tomorrow, and potentially through Sunday. <laughs> Thank goodness I had been working hard that summer and had a lot of money saved up. I just went and bought. <laughs> I just went and bought my new, uh, the, the uh, other Xbox, uh, the uh, the Elite Three. 360 Elite uh, Second Edition, the one that was supposed to be bundled with the Connect. I luckily mine wasn't, but you know it was designed specifically for the Connect. It had all those connections designed for it. Back when Connect was becoming a real big thing, boy, that not uh, go too far. I, I still think that the Connect has value, just like I think the Wii Motes did, and how I think VR is. They they all have their own set thing. The problem is, I think that um, for the Wii, um, the Wii motes were, in a way, restrictive because they weren't as super refined. Now we're seeing them that technology being used in VR to a much higher degree. The idea of those handheld controllers. So Nintendo really gets credit for developing that to as far as they did. I mean, I know that old VR systems in the '90s had that, but those were thousand plus dollar units that had huge stands that you you couldn't take to a friend's house or you couldn't run it in your bedroom. It was like, that is a huge investment in cash to make that run. Now we're seeing the Vive and Oculus use many things and, you know, the Xbox has... Do they? I don't know if they... They don't have something too similar, but I know that uh, PlayStation's got stuff that's similar. There was one platform that, like, there was one device I saw that looked like a blatant ripoff of the Wiimote on something. I can't remember what it was. I'd have to look it up. <laughs> but boy, have we gotten sidetracked. But needless to say, it's interesting how the handheld, the motion controllers that are handheld, like Nintendo really did get that working, and they're still using that technology in the Nintendo Switch, and they supported it through the Wii U. Uh, interesting that you didn't need the bar through the Wii U. Um, the bar was... Uh, I've seen things where, like, the bar, um, the infrared bar is actually just set telling the remote control where the bottom of the screen is, like where the baseline is supposed to be or where your where your detection range is. Apparently, like, you can use tape or banana. Like, I've seen other, like, objects used as it, and as long as it's got a proper reference point, it knows where it is, the thing still works. So it's it's really funny that it does it but it has to have a proper like definitive that's not a screen to reference to and of course that video i watched like that could have been just a elaborate prank where it didn't work so don't take my word for it uh, anyway so i decided to try um i've heard mixed things about crackdown 3 but i never played the crackdown series and they always kind of like I like open world crime fighting in games and this seems like a you know big like shoot 'em up running around game and I I just I thought oh, I'll I'll take a shot on it. I have I got the game pass, so I can download Crackdown one and two for free, and I can download Crackdown three for free as well. So I got Crackdown one, two, and three. Installed my hard drive. Uh, depends on how long Game Pass allows them to stay on. Uh, I have to check. I have to go into my Xbox to see what my uh, free gold game is soon. Um, but we'll talk to the a free gold game that I'm playing that like I wish was still free because it's actually really fun um i'm giving my hand on it and I, i've gotten to the point where in crackdown one i've taken out one of the gangs so far um oh, man the uh the hispanic sort of well the the latin american sort of like gang um the you know i forget what they call them I, i've taken that gang out anyway and i've noticed that i i the vehicle handling in that game isn't that great I mean, it, it, it's okay. Like, I guess I've been spoiled with Saints Row, which had better vehicle handling, in my opinion, as did um, definitely Grand Theft Auto has always had better vehicle handling. And that's the coming from a mouse and keyboard guy where keyboard Grand Theft Auto is not as good as uh, controller Grand Theft Auto for driving. But keyboard aiming Grand Theft Auto is better than... Keyboard mouse aiming Grand Theft Auto is better than controller Grand Theft Auto. But I digress. Um... I mean, Crackdown feels good. Like, there's some definitely stuff in there. But I've just noticed that the driving is a weak point in that game. 
And I don't know, like I'm playing, I've played a bit of one and I want to keep playing it, but I, I feel like, um, you know, it, there's something missing and maybe they, they fix that in two. Another thing I would like to mention is that, it, um, is the annoying thing is how to get weapons in Crackdown 1. Like you have to beat a guy, you have to take it from an enemy and then take it to your, um, to a supply point to get it. So I had one of the grenade launchers from one of the first from the first gang area and got killed just as I was getting the supply point. So then I didn't get it, and I'm like, Ugh. man, I really wanted that because that grenade system it you know it counts as an explosive kill versus a bullet kill. And boy, do the grenades suck when you start off. Like the grenades that you get with your level, like holy crap! They, I mean, they can blow up a car, but they. You know, a guy five feet away from them, boom, blows up. Oh, he gets right back and keeps fighting. Uh, there's definitely some stuff in that game that I feel like uh, could have been ironed out. Maybe they ironed it out in two, and maybe they ironed it. And maybe uh, they changed some stu- so much stuff around in three that it just isn't the same game. I'll have to give it a try, but I'll, I'll get back to you on that. And going to a really fun game, a game that... Uh, the first time I played it, I was really frustrated. The second time I played it, I'm like, this is nice. The third time I played it, I, I'm in love with the damn thing because it's just it's a fun game. I don't play it that much, but it's a great little just... I can drop four, t- 10, 15, 20 minutes in this game and go away, and that's uh, great. Or I can play it for three hours and feel the same way, or I can do one round or I can do ten rounds. Is uh, Race the Sun, which is on Steam. Uh, I believe it's on the PlayStation, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Um, but it is on Steam. It is on the Xbox uh, One. That is a ri- ridiculously fun game. Like I absolutely like that. Just the idea of like speeding through and how every time, like no matter what, you're leveling up in some way. You're getting points. There's all these things you have to get so far. Um, it's just even when it's frustrating, it feels rewarding. I guess is what I'm trying to say about it. And that's why I, I do like that game. And it just it it feels. So relaxed and so fun to play, and it's worth get. It's worth trying if you can. Uh, it's one of the games where I don't think it's worth over ten dollars, fifteen dollars. I don't know what's going for on Steam. I don't think it's worth like fifteen to twenty bucks. If you get it on sale, it definitely feels worth it. But there might be more. Like I'm only level ten through, and I'm not. I haven't unlocked uh, what's in level eleven. I only have two ships, and I don't have like a lot of upgrades to it. I'm suspecting there's probably a lot more, and I know there's a lot more, and probably the stuff that does make it deeper and longer will make it much more appreciative. And I it's just it's just fun. I like how every day the maps are sort of redeveloped in a way and reset. It, it it's a good time sink game that doesn't take too much energy out of you, even when it feels like it's a frustrating crash. The next run is completely different. Even if you crash in the same place, it feels like oh well, that was actually better because I got a few more of those um, point thingamajiggers. I can't remember what they call it. And I just used Thingamajigger on this uh, podcast. I think I've used it before, but I'm not 100% sure about that. So that's that's pretty much it about gaming, um, except for Games Night, which I'll get to in a few minutes. Um, so let's go into the local politics of Canada. Um, well, we've got uh, the NDP yesterday, or actually today, uh, or was it last night? Either the night of the 18th or very early March 19th. March 18th or March 19th, very early March 19th, I think. Rachel Notley, Premier Rachel Notley, has called an election after hinting about it on Sunday, the 17th. So now we have uh, an election, and we shall uh, see who's going to win. Now, I I still think, realistically, the United Conservative Party of Alberta was likely going to come out ahead. I don't know if they'll get a majority or minority. But they will not. But it will not be an NDP minority. Like the NDP will not be in power after this election. And even with a scandal going on about Jason Kenney, which I'll say this: I'm not the biggest fan of Jason Kenney. I think he's too much of a culture warrior. And I'm a libertarian, so I'm not super happy on some of the conservative things. But Notley's also a culture warrior, and she's a progressive culture warrior, and she's picked sides and thrown tons of money on it, and she's very much harmed the economy by over intervening in various ways. It's sort of like. I'd rather vote for the lesser of two evils. I'd rather, I'm like, I'm probably going to vote Libertarian Party because I <clears throat> I read like the Alberta Party's platform and I'm not 100% like, I like the idea of the platform. It sounds very nice, but some of the candidates are like, oh, we have to get involved, do this, do this. And it's like, that's where government doesn't need to be. And I feel like, um, 
how this election's going is, is the conservative party is going to have their own interventions in the economy, their own and interventions in society that are going to be overreaches of government, in my opinion. The NDP definitely has their overreaches. The Alberta party has their overreaches because of um, what some of their members have said about various things. I just want a weaker government. And by weaker, I mean like less intervening, um, more seeking reasons for not to intervene than intervene, more for saying people are doing well, there's no point in us getting involved versus what's happening in Calgary where they were talking about like a $500 increase in uh, you know, property taxes to pay for businesses because business taxes can't be jacked up without uh, revenue being lost. My thing is is that the, the, the uh, city government in Calgary is not really pulling back by spending money. Like they're pretty much spending as much as they always have been. They haven't adjusted their habits. They haven't reduced their spending habits at all. And now they're like, well, the office buildings downtown are empty because of the employment rate is down and companies aren't betting in Alberta because they don't know what Rachel Notley is going to do if the NDP are going to win. Like if there's going to be increases in car attacks, they're not really... Some of the international companies are not super happy about the Trudeau government and the scandal that's going on, which I'll just have a very brief point about that in a minute. Uh, so the office buildings, the big commercial buildings, aren't full. So there's a lot of new projects going on. And, and good thing is there's a lot of new lower-tier uh, businesses. And by lower-tier, I mean, like, there's cafes. There's the Smash Bros. Cafe. There's Nintendo Cafe. There's there's um, some other businesses I'm involved in. There's other stuff going on that's going well. Um, but they can't take the burden of the property taxes and the business taxes that existed prior that like their part, their income is not considered nowhere near the same as what, let's say in Canada, trans Canada, um, Conoco Phillips, like they just are, uh, you know, city go like, you know, all these, um, major oil companies, um, uh, that have, uh, oil centers here, Petro Canada, Shell, that have headquarters or major operations and major commercial centers here in, in uh, Calgary. Even if they ha- were hiring the same amount of people, they're just not making the same amount of money. And first of all, there's no way a cafe is hiring as many people as Canada's office downtown is. So we, um, they're not making as much money because it's a different sort of industry. Uh, it's a different ser- like service industry versus a primary and secondary resource industry pay considerably more for operations because it's like it's a heavier industry a service industry um besides from inventory is relatively cheap to do because you don't need too much um besides from you don't really need a brick and mortar store anymore for a lot of these things but it's very hard for a cafe to take up the tax burden of 10 in 10 uh you know like a cafe that employs three people cannot pay the same tax burden uh even if there's 10 cafes uh, that have 30 to 40 people in total working for them cannot take up the same tax burden as what Canada had um on three of their floors downtown it's not the same tax burden it's just it can't be done so what they're going to do is and so they're going to increase the taxes on the citizens well it's like well the citizens are the ones who hire pay for these businesses to exist by buying resources, buying these businesses goods, trading up in a way because, you know, I'm not going to buy a coffee if I don't think it's worth $3. So if I'm going to a cafe where a coffee is $3 and I look at it and I'm like, oh, I don't want to pay that. And I go to a cafe where a coffee is $5 and I pay that because I think it's worth it. I have changed my value. There's a value proposition there that has made it worth my expense. Now you're telling me I'm going to have to pay $500 more so that these companies don't see an increase in property and business taxes, which don't have to go up because income hasn't increased. Raising, it's just, it's bad economics because how the city government has been is just slamming money. They now want to have these four big capital projects, including, um, potentially expanding some of the uh, the convention center. Now, they want the, one of the largest convention centers in Western Canada. They want the largest convention center in Western Canada. It's like, we don't need that. I mean, I, we, we could benefit from it. We don't need the city government paying for it all. We don't need um, we don't need the city government partnering with the Flames and the Calgary Sports Entertainment Corporation to build a new, the uh, Victoria Park plan. We don't need all this stuff. We don't need a lot of that. It's nice to be able to have it if you are a partner in that business and the government is paying a portion of it. Hey, that's very nice. Now you have taken away assumption of cash. You're like, and now I don't have to come up with like a quarter to maybe even half of the operating cost or the construction costs of this, which is great if you're able to run that scam. It's terrible for everybody else, especially the taxpayer. 
which is now a funding the project. They don't get a choice. They are funding the project because the city has voted to do it, and the city and the citizens don't get to say like, "Hey, I, I don't want my tax dollars going to that project." Well, sorry, we just pool everything together into Wars. So there's that. Um, anyway, the election. Uh, the reason why the NDP have called this because not um, Kenny's got a bit of a. There's a scandal going on with him and the um, UCP leadership race that happened in 2017 uh, about specifically him potentially having a shadow candidate or a public puppet candidate who dropped out and communicated um, to harm. While Rose, former leader, um, Brian Jean, Brian Jean's kind of mad about that, as he should be if it turns out this is true. If it turns out these guys were collaborating because they knew that he wasn't going to win. He's just going to slam support on there. Sure. But if it's like specifically designed to take a distract and damage gene, that's kind of unfair, but what's really fair in politics because not has been running ads for almost a, for over a month here in Alberta, promoting herself and doing questionable things like, you know, stuff that if I was the ethics guy, it's like, it's yes or no. It's not, well, sort of. It's you either broke the rules or it's like, or you are completely clear and anyone can do this. Ethics should be a, it shouldn't, there's very few times ethics should be a great, a, like a, this wave of great. It should be yes or no. And it seems like a lot of this has become like, well, she's running an election and nobody else knows when she's going to call it. She has the benefit where she can do it as much as she can. I'm really hoping that the scandal doesn't turn out that uh, through some way, Kenny, <laughs> the, this whole information doesn't come out because it was a disgruntled UCP or Wild Rose member who got mad at this um, campaign idea and leaked it to the NDP because it would help them. And it turns out these people have been paid or like there's been some change of hands. That'd be absolutely terrible. And good thing is there is no proof of that yet. And there is. And let's hope it stays that way, because if not, we're entering another phase of the election industry here in Canada. That's terrible. And I, I just I don't know. I guess where I'm coming at it from is. Provincially, I'd rather have a libertarian or conservative candidate than the NDP, but I really don't like Kenny as a culture warrior, and not least definitely a culture warrior. I don't know, Brian Jean, I liked. I liked I felt he picked the wrong battles, but he had much better, um, he had much better of a character, and like, you know, he had a much better ethical position where he made stuff. He had a firmer line of like, I will not go do this, and he definitely didn't cross it. He felt like he was a more active person on uh he had like his his beliefs were much heavier laid out and much more understandable kenny like i haven't looked up that much i just felt like it was a it didn't feel right when he got elected to me and i didn't even vote in that election i'm not even a member of that party officially so it's it's an interest of that candidacy and all that the leadership race so that's about it the election the Alberta election is slated for April. Something has to go insanely wrong for Kenny to lose that election and the UCPs not to have a majority government. For the NDP to hold it is insane. The Liberals are, have no hope in doing so, but the NDP have really shot themselves in the foot with the carbon tax and not getting any pipelines through and doing this social license of, oh, we've put this carbon tax, we can negotiate. Well, that didn't work for the NDP and the, didn't work for our NDP dealing with the NDP slash Green Coalition in BC that basically blocked all the pipelines going through there. And the federal government's been swinging their dicks not trying to do it, even though they've, I'll give the credit to the federal government, they've won every single fight legally in court they have ample ground to keep moving on this, and they, the guys who seem to be trying to move on it the, in the regulatory industry of the federal government is definitely moving on. It seems like it's just the top of the hill, top of uh, you know the Parliament Hill in Ottawa. Like those guys don't seem to have the urge that the regulatory guys and the uh, bureaucrats. Ironically, it's it's weird when federal bureaucrats want to get pipelines built, and they're and elected officials are the reason it's not being done, and the bureaucrats are winning the fight in the courts, but they're losing the fight in a government operation. It's just a really amazing thing. I, first time I've actually been really happy about bureaucrats continuing to fight BC on this. But again, these lawsuits, how does it end? Like, it's just taxpayer money going to another taxpayer-funded operation. We spend taxpayer money to sue, sue you, who's funded by the taxpayers. Whoever wins, more taxpayer money gets sent, a law or precedent gets set, and then you go and cry in your corner and do another cheesy trick, which is the exact same thing, but then we have to go to court again to prove you. It's just, you know, and it does bring into the idea of like, where is the province supreme versus where is the federal government supreme and interprovince 
trade and all this. I don't know. I don't know. There's there's various things. Like I remember thinking last year at one point when the BC uh, Alberta pipeline issue really was coming to a phase, I thought like it would be really funny if Notley did a uh, Putin thing and just turned the pipes off, just turned all the supply to BC off. Like you guys can freeze over winter. That would have been really funny too. It it worked for Gazprom, but granted, it it's it's a com- we're a completely different part of the world, and that would be seen as insanely mafioso tactic and would just be very destructive. And I know that would actually. Even though it would get not only a few a bit more support here in Alberta, short time it would destroy her long term because people would be like, "Wow, we our government's a piece of shit." But that's about uh, that. <laughs> so then uh, let's go on to um, oh yeah, the federal liberals have hired outside counsel apparently to advise them with regards to the SNC Lavalin scandal. That's uh, pretty much about all that I've heard recently. I know that it, it just it looks worse. The optics just look terrible. Um, but Andrew Scheer isn't that strong of a person heading the Conservatives anyway. And I, I just don't, I don't know how that's going to end. I mean, that, that election is happening later this year, too. So, great, Alberta gets two elections. We get to vote in the province, and then we get to vote for the feds. I don't see how Trudeau could remain the head of the Liberal Party. I don't know, this just looks too much. And he, he shuffled his cabinet around, but again, like, this is the third time he's done it since this whole news started breaking apart. But again, like, that's, let's, let's stop about that. Let's go on to uh, Games Night. Games Night, we played Scythe, um, which is a early 20th century mech uh, board game, which is really, really fun. It's uh, based in Eastern Europe and Russia, ter- territories like that where you collect resources, food, iron, uh, wood, and and oil. And you build mechs and you can fight or you can build your buildings and upgrade your stuff and win by a like, strategic victory, tactical victory strategic victory it's like how there's multiple different ways to have victories in uh, civilization it's a similar thing like that except that like all your points go together like you can have you can have the uh, most loved character so everything gets multiplied by x y and z it's an interesting um interesting game i really did like it i, I scored okay in it um definitely gonna have to play it again um which we will play next games night when that comes up uh i just it's just it's a weird feeling playing with these guys like i'm not a uh you know it's been a while since i played like an aggressive strategy game so i haven't been i'm not really like you know i'm not i have not been i have not won a single game of um a flux just my luck has never worked out that way i haven't won any star realm games i haven't won uh uh, geez, what was that other, uh, well, we did win, uh, Shadow Realm, uh, Shadow Rift, so we have won that, but that's a team game, uh, I haven't won Scythe yet, but I, uh, it's, Game Night is actually funner, like, just enjoying the game, so I'm, I'm happy about that, and Scythe took a bit while to learn all the rules, and now that I know them, it's actually way more fun to do. Uh, let's see, what else have we got here? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, so I've, back to another video game. I've decided to go back into Arma 3 just to play a little bit of it, specifically since, uh, I was able to get my hands, uh, through a friend, he sold me his, uh, GTX 1080, and I'm really, really happy I bought it from him. It was a good deal, and he definitely got off. It was, um, it, it, it's, it's fun playing Arma 3 again. Make sure the mods all work going out, playing it. <clears throat> just just saying. I I wish I had the rest of the DLC, but I'll add those on throughout the year as I'm going to it. And then um, on Sunday night, uh, rewatch the movie uh, Breach, starring Chris Cooper and Ryan Philippe. Uh, based in 2007, uh, the movie was made in two, that was released in 2007, 2006, 2007. And it was based in, on the 2000-2001 um, investigation, very early 2001 investigation, of a FBI agent who was leaking secrets to the, selling secrets to the KGB slash GRU. Like KGB in the 1980s, became, which became the GRU post, uh, post the collapse of the Soviet Union. And the operation to catch him in the act and do all this. And it was, it's quite an amazing movie. Um Definitely some liberties done with the story. Um, if you ever get a chance to watch the DVD with the commentary, or you ever have a chance to listen to the commentary track, uh, it shows that there were 
uh, like the main character, uh, the FBI agent who's t- taking down his like the the tech guy who's his boss now, who was also in the FBI. Um, how he was actually right into everything at the start. He didn't have to discover anything. He already knew like absolutely all of it when the investigation went. But it it's it's quite um it's quite a fun uh quite a fun movie. It, it's it's um very it's a tense movie, but it it shows just um you know it, it it's a good good dram- dramatization of what they probably did. Probably what they did wasn't as interesting as what this dramatization did. Like um wasn't as tense. Wasn't as like oh I gotta do this, gotta do this, gotta do this. It probably was a lot different. Just like way more. I don't know how mu- how long it was the actual investigation and the takedown, but I uh, I know when I listened to the commentary, it felt like the the, the actual guy who did it uh, was involved with the main character. Like he, I think he stated somewhere like it was much less of a tense thing. Um, like they they sort of knew a lot of this going in, so they had like ways to piece together what plan to do, but yeah. You know, movie magic sometimes has to take precedent over reality, and that's why it's entertaining. So now let's let's jump into some very quick international news because I actually have eaten up a lot of time, and I'm kind of happy about that. I've decided I'm not going to start uh, saying how long the production run is because during edits that changes the actual number. No point in saying like, "Oh, we're 20 minutes in, we're 30 minutes in, we're 40 minutes in." Oh, it's Minute 43.1. It's like, well, that changes when I do edits and if I decide to cut stuff out or add stuff in or anything like that. So let's let's quickly run over some international news. First of all, uh, New Zealand suffering through that horrific shooting at those two mosques and that despicable piece of garbage that did it and live streamed it. I, I can't believe he successfully started live streaming it and how I don't know how long he got. I haven't read his manifesto. I don't even want to know the guy's name, what his face is. All I know is Australian. That's pretty much about it. He's an Australian despicable piece of shit. And it's 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 so horrific that that happened. And yeah. I don't blame Australia for doing what they're going to do. I will say I'm not super happy about how they have gone after some uh, non-Australian, non-New Zealanders. I should say that New Zealand, not Australian. New Zealanders, uh, they've who have discussed it. But I, I do understand the idea of like I, we don't want the information getting out. We don't want to publicize this guy. But again, like there's a thing of where they think they can control the internet, which they really can't, and there's no way you can do it. The more, ironically enough, the harder these corporations, um, these organizations that are trying to uh, remove the live stream or video footage or manifesto, the more it's going to be spread around because it's sort of like, oh, look, I've got the forbidden thing. I've got the forbidden thing. I need to get this. Oh, I need to pass it to a few friends who would love to be part of it. It's sort of like the a secret's only fun when so many people know it. But I, at the same time, I completely understand why they're... they're a, pissed off about it. B, they don't want the spreading of his manifesto because it's. I, I have no idea what it is as I refuse to look at it. And this guy is a psychopath and hope he rots in hell for what he did. I, I just, I don't know. Just just absolutely disgusting. Uh, more people are announcing they're running for the uh, Democratic Party's uh, nomination for the presidential election in 2020 in the U.S. to face up against Donald Trump. It looks like Joe Biden will be running because a uh, slip of a tongue. You know, the crazy thing is Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders are 77 and, like, 76 years old. Like, how old is too old? You're going to, when you run next year, you're going to be 78 and 77. And you're going to be in position when you get inaugurated, you'll probably be 78 and 79 or something like that. You're going to be very old people. Uh, I mean, granted, Reagan wasn't a spring chicken when he got elected. and Trump is definitely an older person and he got elected. But it just, it feels like it would be such a draining job at that point in life. I, I wouldn't want to be 60 years old and get elected to the presidency of the United States, yet alone be a prime minister of Canada. I don't want to be old in that. I want to be quick response. I want to be quick and responsive. Now, not quick as in like I'm making snap decisions. Quick as being able to be reactionary and think about why I need to respond to that decision. I just feel like it's a young man's game, and I understand why it's not a young man's game. You have to be like... It'd be a certain age in the United States to even run for presidency, and I do think that that, that age limit does make sense to a degree, because there are a lot of people who think they're 
real hot shit at at any age who definitely aren't <laughs> speaking from experience and intro introspection on that part but um you know for the old guys i just feel like you, you're gonna you're gonna inherit them you're gonna if you win the election you take on the mantle of having them being the most powerful person in the world the person who's got enough nuclear power to destroy the planet like five times over or whatever the russians have like some, the russians have more warheads um i don't know if they're more powerful or not i think they've got less delivery systems though but you know you get all these heavy and then you're like you, you become the artificial like you become the commander chief of the policemen of the world and if you don't want to and you also have you, you you're sort of um you're directly elected and accountable to 330 plus million people but you're internationally accountable because you're seen as the policeman of the world to 7.2 billion like you know 7 bit plus billion people look up to you in some way shape or form even the those who hate you and hate your country and absolutely want to destroy you look up and see you in some way and it's pretty like to be on the top of that hill to be on that pedestal is pretty insane and i can understand why that's like an absolutely corrupting power because think about it like to have the amount of fame like justin timberlake is famous uh, matt damon is famous but almost everybody knows the name of the president of the world of the united states not the world thank god not the world but almost everybody knows who the president of the united states is um they don't always, in fact, a lot of them probably don't know the policies of those people, don't know the laws, signature plans, various other things that those people do, but sound bites travel, and you can you can hear any news, uh, particularly any of the world, about the United States and the president of the United States. You can go to parts of the world and you will not hear a damn peep about Justin Bieber, Tim, uh, you know, Michael Jackson, who's dead but he, just an example of like how famously certain people became like there are parts of the world where you can go and you will hear jack shit about them but you can go anywhere practically and hear something about the president of the united states in some way shape or form that news is getting everywhere mostly because of how interconnected our society is but also just just how important a position that is how that is considered the leader of the free world and then to finally end up uh end our thing on a Sad note, the Boeing 737 MAX 8 crashes. So there was one in Ethiopia, and last year there was one in um, in Indonesia. Lions Air in Indonesia had a, had a crash. Um, now, we know at some point right now that both crashes have similarities, according to the uh, investigations going on. Boeing says the plane's safe, but granted, it's their plane. Although, also granted, they want to sell more of these planes, and the fact that they're all grounded right now means that they ain't selling any. In fact, probably a lot are trying to return orders or whatever. <sighs> It'll be a while until we know whether this is the plane and its autom automatic systems and automation has caused it, whether it was a defect in maintenance, whether there's a pilot issue, whether there's something completely unpredicted that happened, whether it's a glitch with the computers that may have never been predictable. Uh, it's just, I, I, I get where people are frustrated and, and concerned about this. I, through our plane crashes in eight months is pretty concerning. I'll, like however long these planes like they they've been flying in the air for not too long they don't have a long service life these 737 8 max 8 series and they've had two crashes now i, I did read on reason.com an interesting thing about how quickly um they have just gone off on um just how it's become such a an American fault that these planes crashed now granted Boeing is an American company but the guy said this was being like tongue in cheek sort of Ha ha, except it's not funny, but the situation is, I, I bet you if it had been Airbus, it would have been the world would have been scrambling to find the electronic parts supplied by an American manufacturer versus finding out it was a French French component that caused the airplane crash. It's just like, you know, again, America's the world's whipping boy as well. Like, oh, I don't blame them. And that sort of brings up to a point where, now, I, I haven't, I don't spend time studying airplane crashes and uh, so I'm very out of the loop in this industry. But it would be interesting to see if the world uh, has this amount of outrage, like, condemning, like, taking this information off of, like, you know, saying, well, these planes can't fly. If it was a Russian Topolev plane or a Sequoia or an Antonov airliner or something like that. Now, I am, I know that uh, Elishu or whatever, the, I can't even pronounce it, um, Elishnu, I don't pronounce that wrong, but the IL-76 transport planes that the Russian government uses as well as our many private organizations have used and many nations have used. I know those don't have an amazing safety record either, but that's historical. There's been things where like, oh, the hatch doesn't see all the way and the plane falls apart. 
depressurizes at high altitude and, you know, 300 people die because the plane crashes with tons of people on board. Not 300, but, like, it's a considerable amount of people die. Um, this is concerning, though, because of how, how quickly it's gone. But it'll really be interesting to see what happens because I know the Lion Air information is but like, investigation is, like, August and September this year is supposed to be when the final re- report is released. And I, I know... <laughs> to a degree that Boeing did release a software update for the Boeing 737-8 series post the Lion Air crash um, to deal with the MCIS, which is a system to determine if the plane is stalling and change the uh, change the direction of it. Is that, does that have a reading error, or has that been updated? Did Ethiopia not properly get the update? Did they get the update, and or was it misconfigured, or was there various other things? There's a lot to add answer here there's a lot of questions about why this happened i i i really hope in the long run this turns out that this is a i i don't want the pilot to be blamed for this i really hate pilot error because but the human element does increase chances of failure but i wonder if the automation system i did read the idea that the automation system was so over uh taxing like it was designed basically the plane was designed to be so much so much more automation in it compared to the older ones that it almost rejects human input to a point now i've read that a little bit in a few places i don't know if that's completely true i'm not a pilot myself um i don't know if the manuals were correctly written or if the manuals that were provided um were correctly translated or you know or if they were passed down there's a whole lot going on here and the flight recorder their transcription will tell a bit um some of the debris evidence will tell even more it it, unfortunately, because both crashes ended in like near total, well, total destruction of the airframe, there's very little they can really recover. And like, granted, they were able to do an amazing amount of work recovering the Special Columbia, but we'll, we'll see how this investigation turns out. I really hope that Boeing is able to, if there's any problem, they're able to fix it and get it onto it if it's any of their stuff. If it turns out it's not, I, I hope Boeing gets a clean bill of health. If it's not the pilot, I hope the pilot's get their exonerated even though they're dead like that's not really going to help too much but i just you know it's strange that these two happened although air travel is still considerably safer than driving your car so we we can't not take that away like that air travel is still considerably safer than driving your car just just by statistics and all, just by the stats and you know that's that's pretty much all i had in mind to talk about today um yeah that's about it uh, you know I'm going to go upstairs and listen to the microwave, tell me some more tall tales or maybe some more ideas. I know at one point it was very convincing on its idea of space elevators, and I decided, like, I'm going to have to listen to you because the, the dishwasher is talking really, really, really bad nonsense about, uh, you know, gold is really just, just like some gold is just a fancy-looking rock that has absolutely no benefit in the world whatsoever. And I said, well, the gold standard, you know, it's a precious metal, and that's... And, and the, the dishwasher's like, oh, no, 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 no. It's even worse than that. It's just practically sand that looks... They clumps together better. It's like, I can't... The dishwasher's a little crazy. But, you know, the microwave at least seems to be scientifically sound, except for the purple aliens. But maybe it's, maybe it's a, you know, improv night <laughs> in the kitchen. I don't know. Anyway, thanks for listening. This is another episode of Stories from the Crisper Drawer. Season 2, Episode 3. Sucks that it's been, we're three months into this year and I've only done my third episode versus having nine episodes done. But, you know, life gets busy and I am not making money from this project, so it sort of falls by the wayside. Anyway, again, thanks for listening and, well, hopefully hopefully I'll have another episode up for you soon and we can listen to each other soon. All right, talk to you. Well, I'm just going to, like, you know, that's it. I'm done. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Bye.